So John 21.15 is where we're going to pick up, but we had, um, we had just gone through a pretty interesting time where, as I said, the disciples had made the decision after the resurrection. They didn't really know what was going on. They uh, just kind of waiting around, and, and uh, they find themselves kind of sitting around, and Peter, the leader amongst them, says, I'm going to go fishing. So uh, they said, we're going with you. And uh, so they go out fishing, and they toiled all night, didn't catch anything. And uh, they, no doubt, they're tired, they're frustrated. They catch nothing. And then uh, we, as we studied, we realized uh, that it's, they didn't know it up front, but we, as we're reading, can know it's Jesus calling out to them uh, from, from the shore. And he's calling out, hey, did you guys catch anything? No, <laughs> we didn't catch anything. He says, cast your nets on the other side. Right, we discussed uh, we discussed what happened there, and we tied that to Luke chapter five, when Peter had uh, had uh, really come to the point where uh, he realized who Jesus was that it wasn't he wasn't just a man, and he st- he told the Lord to depart from him because he was a sinful man, and the Lord calms him and says, you know, just says, do not fear. From now you're going to fish men. Right, you remember that, right? So they, they have this conversation with Jesus, and uh, they are, they're bringing in fish, and it numbered 153. And that's a lot of fish. And we know that the other disciples were dragging it along, and then here comes Peter by himself and drags it. So we know he's physically strong. And Jesus, when they get there, had already had breakfast waiting for them. The fire's already going, the food's already cooking, and everything, and then he includes them, right? We, we talked about that. He didn't need what they had, but he includes it later. Right, so there's there was a, a pretty pretty neat thing for us to cover, and where, where we pick up in verse 15, uh, the, the focus shifts to a conversation between the Lord and Peter. Verse 15 says, "So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these?" He said to him, "Yes, Lord, you know that I love you." He said to him, "Feed my lambs." He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. So after eating, Jesus spoke directly to Peter uh, in the company of the disciples. Now, you might remember, I'm I'm sure if you've been along with us in our study uh, since we picked up here uh, in September, Peter had publicly declared that he would die with Christ. And uh, Christ assured him that before the rooster had, had crowed, he would have denied him three times. And, you know, the Lord here uh, looks at, at Simon, and uh, he, he calls him Simon Peter. And, and we'll get into that here in, in a moment, because he was named known as Peter amongst them after the Lord had given him that name. So, he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah. And he, said, he calls him that name three times, and, and we'll get into that here in just a little bit. But the question he asks is, do you love me more than these? We don't know what the more than these was, right? It could have been uh, the fish and the fishing lifestyle. Simon, you said you wanted to go fishing. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me that you would follow me more than these? Or it could have been the other disciples, right? Do you love me more than these? Because remember what Peter said. Everybody else will die with you. I will not die with you. Basically saying that, hey, these guys can run away, but I'm not running away. You know, was, was the question to Simon... Do you love me more than uh, we don't? We don't know. We don't have that context in there. We don't. We don't know if the Lord was pointing to uh, the other disciples. We don't know what it was. But He said, "Do you love me more than these?" You know, was it the old lifestyle or was it uh, the other disciples? Based on the conversation, I'm led to believe that it was the other disciples because of the bold claims that Peter had made. Do you love me more than these? You guys remember, and we talked about. It, I think last week. James and John, remember their mom came up, hey, you know, vying for them that they would have, uh, because she's thinking of the messianic rule coming right then. 
and she's saying, hey, can my son be at your left hand and your right hand? And the Lord said, you don't know what you're asking right now. Now, my, my left hand and my right hand, what she didn't know is he was going to be crucified, that he came the first time to die. And when he comes, then he will reign as Messiah here on earth. He came the first time to die. So we don't know why he says this, but he's, he's asking the question, do you love me? You know, there's a, that's a question for all of us to consider. Do we love Jesus Christ? Do we love him? You know, there's, uh, it, it can be, um, we can get into a routine of playing church, can't we? Right. And we can get into, uh, you know, I like to come to church. I like to sing songs. I like to do. I like the people. I like the warm atmosphere at church. And hopefully that's the case here. Right. That's what that's the aim here is that it's a warm, welcoming, loving church. That's what we're, we're supposed to be. But is the focus of our heart and, and, and the soul desire to know Christ and to love him? Right. Do, do you love me? That's a that's quite a, a reflective question for us. Right. You know, what if he's asking us? We're going to truly self uh, get to a point of self-examination. Do I love Jesus Christ? You know, there's it's not a not only just certain things about him. You know, uh, do we do we love him despite uh, because the the words of Christ, you know, there are a lot of people that will come to a, a realization and, and they'll admit that Jesus was a good teacher and that he had a lot of good things to say. But they won't make that commitment to Christ because they don't want to submit their lives to his, his lordship, right? And unfortunately, we can waste many of our years. Maybe some of us here have wasted many years just saying, you know what? Yeah, he had some good things to say, but I'm not, I, I, I don't love him more than I love myself. You know, yeah, a lot of things there, but there, he's asking for a lot. I don't know that I'm ready to jump on board. I've had those conversations. I had a conversation with a, a young lady at, at work uh, uh, last year, last school year, um, at the, the college I work at. And uh, came in, sat down for like 45 minutes talking to me. And it's like 1 o'clock in the morning, you know. And I'm, I'm just making sure everybody's coming back and that they're safe and they can go to bed. And, and um, you know, my, I'm just there as, as, as security, making sure everybody's okay and, and everything. And she sits down right in the lobby, and we're having a conversation. People are going by. Her friends are going by, and she's sitting and talking to me and everything. And I don't know her. But I find out near the, you know, as the conversation is going, I'm, I'm noticing the slurred words. Right? She's totally drunk. Right. And she she hit it very well. And uh, so we're, we're having a conversation and everything. And, and the conversation gets to uh, and I don't remember what spurred it, but we get to the point of talking about the Lord. And uh, she I think it was she told me. Uh, she was, you know, from Eddington and you know, all these things. And, and, and we're talking like, oh, hey, you know, a good friend of mine's a pastor up there. You ought to go check it out. And the conversation turns to the scripture. And then she's like, yeah, I believe all. But I don't want to let go of this. Literally, I don't want to let go of this. So I'm not ready. And it's heartbreaking. And, and, and so we had a conversation. And uh, even now, when I still see her, uh, we, we, that happened a couple times, which is really cool. And uh, even now, she'll still kind of give me a smile and a wave and everything. And I pray for more conversations with her. But the, her self-admission was, I'm not ready, which means I'm not ready to love Jesus. I love myself too much. I love what the world has to offer. You know, so those, those, that's, a, that's a tough question. So when the Lord is asking this question to Peter, we've had the discussion here as a church Um we know that Will, uh, who was past, pastored here for 20 years, and I've been like seven months, uh, but we know we've had this discussion about the, the Greek words that are used. Uh, and uh, the three that we're going to look at are uh, agape and uh, eros and, and phileo. And, you know, our English culture, we use love for everything, right? We can love a jelly donut just as much as we can say, I love my grandmother and I love my wife and all those things. It, the, the word itself can just be so common that we don't understand you know, what that means, right? We can just say love and it just, we really appreciate, right? That it, it's, and sometimes for us here in, in America, it's the emphasis we put on love, you know, uh, how we say the word or whatever it might be, but when uh, we're looking here, uh, 
the three that I had mentioned, eros is is more of a romantic, a pleasure. Uh, that that word is not used in this conversation. The other one we're going to consider is phileo, uh, and that's a close friendship, a brotherly love. Consider the the city of Philadelphia, right? It's it's known as the city of a brotherly love, right? So Doug's giving a hand fist, right? From Philadelphia, right? Brotherly love, that close friendship. Then there's agape, and that's a God self-sacrificing, God, the love of God, the selfless love. That's how we could consider it. It's the highest form of love, the love shared between a believer and God, that that, that love between us and the Lord would be described as agape. It, it, it describes a faithfulness and commitment. It's an act of our will uh, that we would love the Lord. You know, and uh, God loves us, even though we're unlovable, because that's his nature to love. You know, we uh, we are so fickle sometimes in our in our walk. Sometimes we're stronger, um, but uh, but we we fail so much and uh, we may convince ourselves that. All right, I've, I've hit that point. God was patient enough with me for here, here and here, but he doesn't love me anymore after these things. That's our enemy whispering in our ear. That's not our Lord speaking to us. The church is, is, we are called as a body of believers to agape one another, that we would love one another. The, the Greek word used in John 13, 34 says, a new commandment that I give to you, that you agape one another, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love, you also love one another. The love that's listed in there is God's love, that you agape, that you agape one another and as I have agaped you and you also Agape one another, God's highest form of love versus what we would consider love for whatever it might be. First Corinthians 13 describes agape, what it looks like, the love uh, that is of God and from him. Verses one through seven are going to be posted up there. If you'd like to turn there, you can. Uh, we're just going to read those seven verses. First Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 7. Say, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If we're trying to understand biblical, godly love, look at look at 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails, verse 8 continues. The very beginning of verse 8 says, love never fails. Now, this agape love does not come natural to us. <laughs> right? We've talked about it. Right. We we've watched uh, if you have kids or you've watched any kid anywhere, it doesn't matter. You watch them. They have to learn obedience. Right. Because we're born sinners. It's our sinful nature. I want I need. Right. Favorite word. I me, my I. Right. That's that's usually where our hearts are focused is on us. So we don't have naturally have an agape love. We need to receive that from the Lord. You know, we have a selfish and self-loving uh, love born in our hearts. We need agape love from the source, and God gives it to us as we begin a relationship with him. As the Spirit fills us, Romans 5.5 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us, who has given to us. John 13.35 says this, by this, you all will know, uh, they all, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have agape, if you have love for one another. Comes from the Spirit, from the source. Once we receive it from God, then it changes our lives, right? Once we have God's love, 
reigning in our hearts and in our minds. We're different people. That's how we become different because the Holy Spirit is in us. And how would they know that we have uh, the Spirit of God in us? And how will they know that we are his disciples? Did Jesus say it wasn't because we'd be working miracles? It wasn't because we would be uh, you know, speaking in tongues? It wasn't because all those things that were listed in, in 1 Corinthians 13, they'll know by your love. By your love. by And that's how the church should be known. Unfortunately, and I've used this as an example before, forgive the repetition, you guys are used to that by now, but <clears throat> I, um, I was talking with my niece who is a, uh, who is a server at a restaurant, and uh, I believe this was from this conversation. If it wasn't, then you guys will get the same gist. They were talking about how busy Sunday mornings can be, and oh yeah, it, it, it just gets slammed. We get everybody there. Unfortunately, they're not always blessed on Sunday mornings because those that just left the pews at church have come and they're sometimes the rudest people. Isn't that sad? Like those that are all dressed, hey, if you dress up for Sunday, amen. If you wear jeans and t-shirt, don't care. That doesn't bother me a bit, right? The Lord said that, that, that man looks on the outside, the Lord looks on the inside, right? doesn't matter, but when we go... And how we present ourselves. And, and when we come in at, uh, with that Sunday crowd, oh, hey, the Sunday oh the Sunday crowd's here. Great. Right? That's, that's sad. That's awful. That should not be the case. We shouldn't be going around, you know, with our nose in the air. I'm better. Nope. <laughs> anybody who's read the scripture understands we are no better than anybody. We're just redeemed. We're saved. And the Lord is changing us. He's sanctifying us, right? That process of, of lifelong sanctification. Oh, that we would be about grace and about love. The agape love doesn't come to us naturally. We don't just have it. So Jesus here asks him, do you agape me? He asks him twice. So the first time Jesus says, he says to Peter, Simon Peter, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Then the third time when Jesus asked, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And it says that Peter was grieved because the Lord asked him a third time. Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. There was the question, do you love me? And then there's a command afterward, right? There's the question, answer, command. Question, answer, command. Question, answer, command. Each time. Three times, right? So the first time Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter's response, if you look at it, if you guys don't have something like Blue Letter Bible, or you don't, I, and I know I've told you this before, Blue Letter Bible's awesome. I, that's a huge tool. And I get in there, and I'm, I'm breaking it down, and I click, and you can, you can click on the scripture, and it shows you the Greek word next to it. Jesus is asking him, do you agape me? Peter's response is, Lord, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. Jesus asks again, do you agape me? Lord, I phileo you. The third time Jesus says, do you love me as a brother? Do you phileo me? And then Peter, as we see, he's, he's, his heart is stirred. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Each time. When he says uh, to him, you know, Jesus, the third time is, Peter, do you love me with the love of God? And he says, you know I love you, Lord. I love you like, like a brother. That, that happens twice. The last time Jesus says, do you love me like a brother? Are we friends, Peter? You know, you can consider it that way. Are we, are we, are we tight, Peter? And then it's his heart. We know, right? We know the story. We, we, we touched on it already before. The Lord had told him he was going to deny Christ three times. You notice there are three questions here. Three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter's response is, Lord, you know, on the third time, Lord, you know all things. He knows everything about him. He knows all the successes. He knows all the failures. And, uh, you know, this can, I, 
this is indicative, I believe, of Peter speaking in humility. Because he had made those prideful statements. Though everybody else fails, I'll die with you. He believed that in his heart, but man, was it driven by pride, right? All these other guys might go, but not me. <laughs> you know, when you think of the other guys like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get blanket party tonight, right? You know, any military guys knows, knows what that means, right? He had made those bold claims. You know, he knows us the same. He knows every single one of us the same, just like he knew Peter. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. You know, we can be too prideful, trust in our own strength, and we always come up short when it comes to spiritual things, right? If we're trusting ourselves, we're going to come up short in spiritual things. Peter made that declaration. He meant it, but man, he's like, with everything that I have, you know, but he needed the love of, of God in him. The Lord is lovingly addressing the pride that existed before. James Boyce, Bible scholar, said this, he is simply saying that his heart is open to Christ and that Christ therefore knows that he loves him with the best love of which he, a sinful human being, is capable. That's what Peter's saying. Like You know it. His heart is just wrenched, is turning. Jesus is right here publicly restoring his relationship, Peter's relationship with Christ. He had denied him three times publicly, right? Once to the little girl. And then as he's standing there uh, around the fire, he's making those other declarations that, no, I don't even know him. One, one gospel account says that he's even cursing. Right? He's even cursing, calling down curses. If I know him, blah, blah, we don't know exactly what he said. If I know him, then blah, blah, blah. And he made those, those declarations. Lowest point in Peter's life, denying the one, his best friend. Jesus Christ was his best friend. I think him and James and John. You know, those three, the, the, the core three that would walk around with Jesus. You know, because you look at the end of this, this, this chapter here and you'll see Peter asking a question about John. But he's, he, Jesus, no doubt, is his best friend. And he denied him three times. And his brothers were all aware of it. And now they're all together. He was the leaders of the apostles. And he needed to be restored personally, but also that public restoration. So that others knew that Jesus forgave him and reinstated that he had that, that forgiveness from the Lord. This is a very powerful moment. No doubt a tearful one. Peter's a rugged guy. He's a fisherman. You know, where, where it says uh, in, in the first few verses, it says that uh, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, I believe personally that his eyes were welling up. That the, the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? You know, that's a, those are powerful things. And, and uh, it, though it, it's, he, can, he can stand in joy knowing that he's been, uh, he's been restored. That failure is now victory in Christ. You know, the heartbreak and sorrow that had made him go from the presence of the Lord. Remember Luke 22, 62. It says, so Peter went out and whipped, uh, weep, wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. You know, everything's washed away in an instant as Jesus Christ offers him. You know, do you love me? You know I love you. Three times. You rejected me three times, Pete, Remember? Now there's the restoration. I spoke of it earlier. He used Simon Peter's formal name. Calls him Simon, son of Jonah. He didn't call him Peter. Remember, he changed his name from Simon to, to, to Peter, Little Rock. He doesn't do that. He goes all the way back to the beginning. Simon, son of Jonah. The formal name. There's a, there's a very heavy conversation happening here between Simon Peter and Jesus. And through this conversation that the disciples heard Jesus is restoring him not only his relationship but amongst uh, his his leadership role amongst the disciples his friends they all heard the the public commands that Jesus said for him to feed his lambs tend his sheep feed my sheep those three things he was called to do those things so not only did the Lord restore him, 
in his relationship. But now he has restored him to his leadership position. And he's now commissioned him to feed the flock. And we know that Peter does, and we'll look at a few, uh, a few things here in just a few moments. But Jesus asked the question, do you love me? And after the question came the answer and then the commission, right? The most important thing is in ministry is not talents and gifts. It's not. Somebody could have the voice of uh, I, a friend of ours uh, sent us a, uh, a clip uh, to the, the guys in the, uh, the worship team and uh, sent us a clip of this metal singer singing Amazing Grace. And the guy's vocals are amazing. He can go low and go high and the high kind of gets into a little bit of a scream there. So you might you know, prepare yourself or whatever. But that guy's so gifted and talented. My question as he's singing it is like, I wonder if he knows the Lord. Is he in a Christian metal band or is he just singing the song because it sounds great? We were, Corey and I were talking about that this morning. That sometimes you can, we can witness uh, people with the, the biggest gifts singing uh, praise songs to the Lord. And then you know that their other songs are complete trash. And we were talking, so sorry, buckle up a little bit. If you're a big country music star uh, fan, you know, there's some country songs I like and everything. But problem, problem with it is I'm going to come out with all these songs about drinking, about sleeping around, about, you know, drunkenness and, and revelry, all these things that the Bible preaches against. And I'm going to put out a gospel album. There's a problem. I have a problem with that. You know, I'm not standing up here, you know, just trying to condemn anybody. But, man, isn't that confusing to the world? Oh, is this person now a Christian? No, because the next album has whatever on it. Right? You hear them just belting out the praises of the Lord. And you're like, cool. I got, you know, this guy's got a great voice. So this lady's got a great voice. And you're singing, you know, riding in a car. And then the, the next thing that comes out is complete, worldly, sinful trash. That's a problem. There's got to be that difference. It has to be. It's got to be a difference. I don't even know why I just got on that. <laughs> the, oh, love. Love for the Lord. Love for the Lord. We're getting back to that. Sorry. That's the most important thing. We can be gifted. We can be talented. We can have these crazy abilities. We really can but do we personally in our own relationship with Christ? I'm not telling everybody here that we're not all loving the Lord. Please don't get that from this. But there's a difference between being gifted and talented and, and using those gifts to praise our God. If we're not, then we need to get right today. I encourage any of us, if we've got those gifts and talents, start using them for the Lord. Because if we're using them for ourselves and, and for selfish motives, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. It's all about loving Jesus. That, that question, do you love me? Loving Christ. If we don't love Jesus, we can't properly love the sheep. Can't. We're, if we don't have agape love in our hearts with our relationship with the Lord, we can't properly minister to anybody. We can't. We don't have God's perfect love reigning in our hearts if we don't know him. So Peter's a fisherman, pretty strong guy. We, uh, we studied that he carried the net by himself, and the Lord is telling him that with a shepherd's hand, he needs to feed the lambs, tend the sheep, feed the sheep. I know you're a rough guy, Peter, but I got a mission for you. And it's taking care of people. He had to learn... You know, Peter, okay, guys, remember, this is the guy that as they're in the garden, uh, their garden there and everybody comes to arrest Jesus, who grabs the sword and chops off Malchus's ear? Peter, right? He needs, he's rough. Peter's a rough guy. And the Lord's telling him, your focus needs to now be, you love me? Great. We love each other. You need to tend to the sheep. You need to feed the sheep, feed my lambs. He gives him a, a mission. Something that he can't do by himself. And he's been restored. Peter's been restored in his relationship, and he's been restored in ministry and commissioned. Last thing before we move on from here is agape love is what we all need. 
Every single one of us need it to please our Father. We need to share agape love with one another. We need it to minister to this lost and broken world. There should be a difference between us and no matter how you're dressed or wherever, there should be a difference between us that have experienced God's love and his grace, that, that we've been changed from uh, the old us and we've been made new in Christ. We should be conducting ourselves differently than, uh, than uh, those that we're going to be around in the world. Don't get me wrong. There are some great moral people that, that we're going to see at the grocery store. Please, thank you, and everything like that. If they don't know Christ, they should know the difference because of the love that we have in our hearts, That's that agape love to minister to one another. Selflessness, that great love. We need agape love to bear one another's burdens inside the church, right? Otherwise, we're going to be like, yeah, that person's going through. Uh, Got to be kind of tough. I hope they can hand, handle it. We're called to bear one another's burdens, to love one another so much that, hey, what can I do to help? Consider others more important than ourselves. We need agape love to have patience. As you know, this is going to sound familiar from 1 Corinthians 13, to have patience, to not envy, to not hate, to not be rude, to minister God's agape love. The chief thing we're going to need is his agape love. We have to. To be able to go and do anything that the Lord has called us to do, we need to have that agape love. And without it, we're nothing and we have nothing. We need the love of God. That question Jesus asked, do you agape me? I phileo you. Agape, 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 phileo, phileo, phileo. Peter, probably uh, as he's answering that question, says, you know I love you. But there, if you if you look at it, there might be something that comes to mind where Peter's been brought down a peg, right? You know, before he's saying, you know I love you more than everybody else, and I'm willing to die and everything. And he's he's now, you know what I can admit to? As, as Boyce had said, you know what, I, with everything I've got, you know I'm a sinner, but you know I love you. That was the response, that humility. Verse 18, most assuredly I say to you when you were younger, the Lord's still speaking to Peter, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying which death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So after the Lord restored Peter, he informs him that uh, he has tribulation ahead of him. Not exactly what Pete's hoping for, I'm sure, but, you know, the tribulation would eventually lead him to dying for his faith. And Peter, uh, according to church tradition, uh, Peter was crucified upside down by the Romans. That he, that he laid down his life uh, for Christ. You know, that the, the end of the story wasn't Peter denying Christ. He was restored, and then he followed the Lord, and he fed the sheep, and he did what he was supposed to do. Eventually, that led to his martyrdom, and he lost his life. There's, uh, there's an important thing in the Scripture regarding following Christ, and we're told to count the cost, right? Count the cost. We, ha we have to consider, what is it going to mean for me to follow Christ? It might cost relationship. It might cost jobs. It might cost us money. We're called to follow Christ. Peter receives this command to follow Christ. Regardless of what's coming down the road, Jesus says to him that he is to follow him. You know, Peter did, and all the way to his death, we can see that the Lord's love in Peter's heart carried him all the way through the rest of his life. That he loved Jesus so much. He had been so scared without Jesus that he, they denied him three times. Then it came to the point of he's asked again. And he won't deny Christ. And he loses his life for it. This follow me here is a reinstatement of his apostleship. Being sent out. Peter's restored in his relationship with Christ. And every failure was addressed in a simple question of do you love me? He's now reinstated. We talked about the first time that Jesus had addressed how scared uh, you know, Peter was. He was afraid to uh, even talk to Jesus because he knew that he was a sinner. 
And he told the Lord so. And I, I don't know if uh, this got mixed in here, but it might come up here. Luke 9, just a remind. Luke 5, verses 9 through 11. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they brought their boats to land. They forsook all and followed him. You know, the Lord told him, I know you're scared, Peter. I know you're telling me you don't have to be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. So this reinstatement, you know, this is, this is a bookend commandment for Peter, right? He had received the command to follow the Lord. All that happened in his life in those next few years, and then the failure, and then it, Peter runs into the tomb, right? Throws his, uh, you know, John's looking in. Peter goes right in. They see the Lord. They're on that spiritual high. They don't really know what to do. They go fishing. Now they're sitting here having breakfast with Jesus. They just got done, and they're having this conversation, and the Lord restored him. It started with follow me, and then the last command we see right here is that the Lord was told, telling him to follow him. Follow him. You know, if, if that's us, be encouraged. You know, we can get to a point where, yeah, you know what? I was walking with the Lord at some point and, I, you know, I'm just not really where I was before. Well, go back to him and say, Lord, I need you to, to uh, renew my heart. You know, bring me back. And the Lord's going to be faithful to do it. He's not going to be, oh, too far gone. Because the need to come back to the Lord came from him. That's already coming from That's the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit doing the work in us. Just be obedient. Come back to him. The Lord is all about restoration. He's all about it. That's, that's, that's who he is. He loves us so much. There's a question in that. You can look at the redemption story uh, as a whole and understand there's your redemption. You know, before we even knew that we needed a Savior, he already had the plan set, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 20. Then Peter, turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So Peter's asking Jesus, What will happen with John? You know, was this out of concern or out of interest? We don't know. But regardless of what's being asked, uh, you know, the Lord says to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You know, the Lord had already told him, you follow me. And, and Jesus is, uh, sorry, Peter's first response is looking at, at, at John. What about this guy? Right? You know, very easy to focus on someone else's life. You know, someone else's ministry. We can get to that point very easily. That's something between them and God. It's not for us to be involved in. Colossians 4.17 says, and Paul writing, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received from the Lord that you may fulfill it. That you have received. Say this to Archippus, right? This is what's being said here. Take heed to the ministry which you received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. You were told to do something, take heed to it. Fulfill the ministry that the Lord has, has placed in them. You know, that what's being said here is a day-to-day -day calling and following Christ. Where to go, what to do. Coming to Christ and, and following, not worrying about what everybody else is doing. You know, our, our enemy or our flesh can, can convince us that whatever our ministry might be isn't enough. And then we get to a point of envy and we get to the point of covetousness, right? I want that position. I need that position. That will blind our eyes to what God is doing in our lives and how he's using us at that point. We can, we can get so focused on what's, what's going to happen in someone else's life. I believe that Peter, when he's asking this, Peter just heard, okay, I'm going to die and, and, and all those things. What about John? You know, that, but that, that, that it's not necessarily the Lord saying, yeah, you're saying you're going to do that. that Peter's not saying to the Lord, yeah, you're going to do this. But there's a reminder here for us. That when the Lord gives us those that 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 command to follow Him, we don't have to worry. What about this person? What about those things and everything? That's between them and the Lord. The Lord can minister to our hearts better than any of us can. 
right? I can go and try to, I can pour my heart out and do my best and try to convince somebody of whatever that this is. Nothing even compared, that comes even close to what God is going to do in their hearts when he ministers. You know, we try to minister on our own strength. It's, it's just going to come up empty. You know, we can't drive somebody, can't force them to their knees to submit to the Lord. We can't. You try to do that, it's going to be insincere, isn't it? Because it's, they've just, they're just tired of us bashing them, right? Maybe it was the, you know, the grandmother we had in our lives or you know, someone who truly loved us, truly loved us. And was speaking the truth, and we just we wanted nothing to do with it. Well, it's not their responsibility to bring you to the Lord. That's God's responsibility, and His Spirit will do that. He'll take care of it. He doesn't need us; He chooses to use us. But if you're frustrated uh, in in whatever ministry situation you may be in, go to the Lord and say, "Lord, will you will you help me with this?" Because if we're not watching our hearts, we can get into the mindset of "I should be there. I should be doing this and that." I should be in that position, not that person. How come nobody's, you know, put me here or whatever? The Lord doesn't make mistakes. The Lord has us where he wants us. Another thing here is to understand is that every opportunity doesn't mean that it's a calling. Just because there's an opportunity out there doesn't mean that we are actually called to do it. We have to hear individually from the Lord that that is what we're called to do. What are we called to do? There, are, Guys, there are ministry needs all over. We don't even have to look around the world, right, Doug? Right? We can if that's where we're called. If that's where we're called, then follow the Lord and go where he's calling us. Oftentimes, we can look right inside our own house. Look at the neighbor. Now, what can I do to help? Oh, you know what? They had knee surgery. Maybe I could carry in the groceries. Just, just certain things like that. But every opportunity, just because something comes open, hey, they need they need a worship leader, and I can play the guitar. I guess that's my position. No, not unless the Lord's called you to it. I believe that what I've always witnessed in my life has been the Lord preparing and then the Lord speaking and presenting a situation, right? It's usually not just a boom, hey, here you go. You got to do this now because somebody else tells us to. Don't listen to anybody else's voice. Listen to the Lord's voice. If you're wondering if you've been called to something, pour your heart out to the Lord. If you're wondering when a good time to fast might be, that might be it. But you know what? I'm not going to eat lunch today. And I'm just going to seek the Lord during that lunch period. Go for a walk. And I'm going to use that time to pray. Might be a day. Don't go 40 days without you know, building yourself up or whatever. You know, don't don't just jump right into things. But that's when we seek the Lord, not because there's an opportunity, not because somebody else said we follow the Lord because Jesus says, follow me, follow me in this direction. Right. The disciples had spent years following Jesus and watching him work. They had a better understanding of what that what that meant by the uh, by the end of uh, Jesus's ministry on earth, his earthly ministry. Verse 23 then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will, that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. That, and we know that his testimony is true. Again, this is John not mentioning himself. And I'll say it again. I believe it came from... The, uh, I personally believe this is not specifically said in the scripture. It came from the argument of who's greater and John learning from that, saying, wait a minute, I was vying that I would have been the greatest. And something Jesus said and how he said it maybe looked right at John, I don't know. But John doesn't mention himself. He just he just always mentioned himself uh, in, in a different person and not just I. Uh, that's, that's just my personal belief. But anyways, context here as we're reading is extremely important. Not understanding context of the scripture has led to many massive problems and divisions in the church. It's led to cults being formed. You know, heretical doctrine. That somebody would look at something like this and say, uh, you know what this means is, is John was never going to die. And that's what some people started to believe. It even says right there. You know, not understanding the context can lead to misunderstandings of passages such as Jesus is teaching. 
I remember when the Lord was talking about if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. It'd be better for you to enter heaven uh, maimed, basically, than uh, than to uh, sorry, yeah, enter heaven maimed than go to hell whole. He's explaining that Jesus was not telling us to walk around with a hatchet in our hand, right? I can tell you right now, none of us would have hands or eyes. Remember what James said about the tongue, that we can't even tame our tongue? I don't even know where we'd go with that, right? We, I mean, we wouldn't even be walking around. We might be rolling somewhere in directions we can't even see, right? Guys, I, I, I've heard of people that I know were in a cult that this young man had been so... Uh, that uh, Jehovah's Witnesses teach that if you have a blood, you can't have blood transfusions. You can't have somebody else's blood. This young man is like a teenager. Need a blood transfusion? Nope. They chopped off his leg. Oh my goodness! There's some weirdness that comes. We saw that it was saying that it says it went out among the brethren that that John's not going to die. John's making it clear. Jesus did not say I wasn't going to die. If he wanted me to live till he returns, then that's great. But that's not what Jesus said. He makes it clear. Text, the context is very, very important. Jesus isn't promoting. It wasn't when you consider that. He's not pr promoting self-mutilation. Sin is what? A condition of the heart, right? My hand does what my body tells it to do, what my mind tells it to do. Now, my hand isn't the problem. My heart is the problem. Body parts are just the vessels that, that are used to carry out those things. So Jesus made a point that sin is very serious, deadly even. So so dangerous that you know we uh, we would take extreme measures. It would be better for us to do that. You know, Jesus was not calling people, he was the healer of the maimed. Okay, he wasn't telling us to maim ourselves. We wouldn't have anything. So Jesus didn't say that John would live until but if. You know, Jesus actually has the power over uh, over physical death. We saw that. He demonstrated it in raising people from the dead on multiple occasions, that he himself rose from the dead. Jesus isn't isn't confined to the, the same elements we are. And uh, he's not worried about time, space, and matter. He kind of created those things. He's got, he's got it. <clears throat> Verse 25. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. John makes it clear that his gospel account is his summary. These are the things that he, if you look back to verse 24, it says he testifies. Uh, and we know that his testimony is true. He's saying this is the things that I witnessed that, that the Lord laid on his heart to share. You know, John had witnessed so much that he couldn't account for it all. He would have been writing for the rest of his life. God had him write other things, didn't he? Remember 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he had those epistles to write. Revelation. He had other things to write about. What he's saying here is that he had seen so much. He had heard so many things that, uh, you know, if he tried to write the books... What he's saying here is that the, there wouldn't be enough room in this world to contain the books. What he had seen. And how that affected lives. And how, you know, just thinking of, oh, when this person you know, was was raised from the dead, and, you know, this this young girl, uh, and uh, this person's health was restored to them. And you have you see all these things that what he's saying is you'd be writing books all the time. And the, the world wouldn't be able to, to contain them. By the leading of the Holy Spirit, John recorded his gospel account, what God wanted him to write. All scriptures inspired by by God, you know, God wrote, uh, John wrote what God had placed on, on his heart. And as we began in September, it must have been like the third or fourth, the day that, that actually started when we started here, when I, I took over this position, uh, we discussed what the, the gospel account, according to John, covers, what it mainly focuses on, the seven I am statements of Christ. He focused on seven miracles, 
And as stated in the, in John 20, verse 31, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That what he wrote would spark believing faith in the reader. Right? You guys remember that all the way back in September? If you don't, now you do. Right? So we've got it stored in our mind. When you think of John, what does it focus on? The seven I am statements, seven uh, miracles and that the belie- that the reading would the reader would come to believing faith in who Jesus Christ was. John witnessed a lot. He knew who Jesus was and he was burdened to let the world know, so he grabbed his pen as the Lord led him and, and wrote it. Hopefully, I don't know. I know that our study through here has been a complete blessing to me. Uh, we're going to pick up next week in Acts chapter one, and we'll uh, keep going. You know, wherever we leave off, we pick up and go again. Would you all stand with me and we'll pray? Father, we are blessed to know that you would restore somebody like Peter. Not only restore his relationship with you amongst those that knew that he had failed, but Lord, to help him and them to know that you were still going to use Peter. And we know you did. In a very powerful way. There were times where we can read in Acts that that Peter was preaching and thousands would come to faith. And he would point them to you. Speak so boldly that he would celebrate being beaten for your name. And we know, Lord, that you restored him and filled him and and you did such a work in him that there was no way he was ever going to deny you again. And he didn't. Lord, help us. If we have failed, if we've gotten to a point where we are are being uh, self-condemned or condemned by our enemy, Lord, that that's not you. Pray that you would help us to understand the restoration that you want to do in our lives, the work you want to do in and through our lives. We thank you that you're so faithful to do it, so gracious and loving. We thank you for your grace, mercy, and love, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.